High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. Grab your Bible, go to Galatians chapter 3. While you're turning there, we began this series a few weeks ago called At the Core, and we've been talking about really key values of who we are as high praise. What makes us who we are as a church? What is at the core of who we are? Uh, What is some of the, the, the DNA elements that make high praise who we are. And we've talked about so many different things, and we still have a lot of things to talk about. Uh, very beginning, we talked about being a house of, of, of generational synergy. How many of you here whenever I ministered on generational synergy? And we, we see that even this morning. When we listen, I don't think we realize how uncommon it is whenever you have two services, which by the way, what we saw this morning wasn't even all of our youth. It was maybe half of them that were here in the front. Wednesday night, you could barely move up front because there was so many youth. I, I don't think you realize how uncommon it is, one, to have that many youth in a church. And by the way, the ones that were up here this morning were primarily middle school, high school kids. That didn't even account. Uh, there's a few of college kids uh, sprinkled in, but that doesn't count our young adults as well. Uh, I'm telling you, it is very uncommon, especially on a Sunday morning, because in a lot of church cultures, you have youth, they show up for youth service, but they're not connected to the church body at all, which isn't healthy, by the way, and isn't good. Amen. I'm convinced that's one of, Pastor Garrett and I have talked about this. I know he agrees with me. That's one of the reasons that we see a lot of kids when they turn 18, they leave the church because they age out of youth group, but they were never actually part of the church. And thusly, they feel like they are foreigners whenever they turn 18 and they have nowhere to connect with. And that's why it's so important moms and dads that you just don't you don't just bring your kids to youth service but you also bring them on Sunday morning and you also let them get connected and involved and plugged in and the church said amen, amen. but we see this this morning in just in one service it was probably I don't know there's probably at least 60 kids up here uh, middle and high school kids that were up here that's not normal but that's who we are as a church. We believe in generational synergy. I know last week, Dad talked about being rooted and planted. We believe, I know this seems redundant for a church to say this, but it's true. We believe in the importance of the local church body and what it's doing in the earth. And listen, we don't believe in it just so we have somebody to preach to. We don't believe in being planted just because we need somebody to listen to our voice. We believe in it because we know, one, the impact it has on your life. And listen, one one of the silliest things that we do, I'm not preaching on being planted this morning, but one of the silliest things that we do, in, in my opinion, in, in Christianity, is we will pit truths that are both true against each other. Well, you need a life of devotion, not just to be, you don't need to just go to church. Well, I'm, no, there's very few pastors I know that are making the argument that you don't need to have a life of devotion. These, these two things don't need to be pitted against each other. You need to have a life of devotion and you need to be planted in a local church. Well, I, I, don't, I don't like that prophetic stuff. I'm a word person. I just, you need both. You don't just need the word. You need the prophetic. And you don't just need the prophetic. You need the word. By the way, they're both the word. They're just different manifestations of the word. Y'all with me? 
Well, I, I, we, we, we don't need the church. We just need people to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Well, listen, if you go to church and you do in a good Bible-believing, truth-preaching church, guess what's going to happen? The fruit of the Spirit is going to manifest in your life as a result of being there. We don't need to pit things against each other that never were intended to be pitted against each other. All these things should work in harmony together to produce fruit and produce strong believers. You need to be rooted and planted in a local church. Go there, give there, eat there. If you've read Planted, if you haven't read Planted, you need to read it and also read I Belong to read both of them. I Belong is like the slightly updated version of Planted, but Planted's a little more theological, but you need to read both of them. Amen. Go read them. I'm serious. So we've been talking about this, about this over, over the past, uh, uh, I don't know, three weeks or so. I think this is week four. And today I want to talk about being a church of unity. Now, I already touched on this a little bit when we talked about generational synergy. But I want to expand this idea a little bit beyond just generations. And by the way, if you didn't listen to the word on generational synergy, I would encourage you. Go listen to it on the podcast. Go listen to it on YouTube. It's available both those places. It's on Facebook. Go catch up on all of these messages. Because listen, I believe if you're going to attend church here, and most of you that are in this room this morning, you call this your home church, it's important to know key values that make us who we are. And that's what we're really focusing in on. And, and you don't want to miss uh, the next several weeks because they're going to be powerful. I think next week we're going to be talking about family. A couple of weeks from now we're going to talk about, uh, about the prophetic. You don't want to miss what's coming up. Uh, but let's just hone in on today. Uh, in, in Psalm 133, I, I read this before, and most of you know this scripture. But in Psalm 133, it says that God commands the blessing where unity is present. It's not just that the blessing will miraculously manifest, but that God commands it. Listen, that, that's a strong statement. That where there is unity, God looks at that place and he says, I command blessing there. Blessing has to flourish there. It has no other option but where there is unity for blessing to be present. I am thoroughly convinced that one of the reasons God has blessed and is blessing this church body is because we strive and we endeavor for unity with everything inside of us. And our staff can tell you, our leaders can tell you, that is, a, that is a hallmark of what we do. We want unity in every way. We want unity of generations. We want unity of races. We want unity of genders. We want unity of, 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 of cultures. We want unity within different uh, economic uh, standings that people have. We don't love you because you're rich, but then discard you because you're poor. James actually chides the church for doing that in the book of James. I don't have time to get into it, but he basically says, you gave the richest seed and you discarded the poor and you're evil for it. That's not the way it rolls. That's not Christian values to prefer one person over the other because of something within their life, whether it be the color of their skin, whether it be the amount in their bank account, whether it be how, uh, where they were born or whatever, or their gender even, to prefer one over the other is not a biblical concept at all. As a matter of fact, it is antithetical to everything within the kingdom. Y'all with me? Where there's unity, there will be an absence of prejudice. And where there's an absence of prejudice, God says a blessing is going to be there. Are y'all with me? 
And I'm so thankful that we have a multi-generational, multicultural, multiracial church here in Bay County. And let me just be really honest with you. In the South, that is not, back up, in America in general, that is not common. And in the South, it is even less common. One of my favorite things about this church is people have a hard time labeling us. People have a hard time labeling us. I've heard people say, well, I won't go to that church because that's the black church. I've heard people say, well, I don't go to that church because that's a white church. I love that people have a hard time labeling us. You can't can't really put us in a box because the church was never intended to fit inside of any social construct box. If If you were here when Pastor Casey was here on Wednesday, he talked about the church being an expression of that which is to come. That we should be like aliens and foreigners in this world because we don't fit in any social construct or any box that the world tries to put us in or that the world puts people in because we're not living for this age. We're living for an age that is still yet to come. We are pushing forward to something that is different than what anybody else sees. You can't put high praise in a box. You look around this room and you see people from all different kind of backgrounds, all different kind of races, dressed different ways driving different kind of cars, people from different economic backgrounds. That's the kingdom. I said, that is the kingdom. There's a lot of people who talk about the kingdom, but they're not willing to live the kingdom. A lot of people like to talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. God always, always, always brings unity. The enemy will always come to divide, but the spirit always comes to unify. I think, I think we see it really, I'm going to get to my, my scripture in a minute. Y'all just hang with me. I think we really see it on the day of Pentecost, right? I've talked about this before, about Pentecost being the healing of Babel. Y'all, ever, y'all remember when I preached that? All four of you. All right. I'm glad it made that much of an impact on your life. Pentecost was the healing of Babel. In Babel, they tried to work for something to show how strong they were and how great they were. They said, we can reach heaven. We can, we can do this in our strength. We can do anything in our strength. And God came down and divided their languages. So literally what happened is when they tried to do something in their own accord, it brought division. But then in Pentecost, what happens is people from all over the ancient world are, are, are there in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And Jesus has told them, hey, you guys are going to go and you're going to just, you're just going to tarry in Jerusalem until there's 120 people who end up in the upper room, but it didn't start with 120. It started with a lot more. 120 made it till hear this. Just because you hear a word from God doesn't mean you're going to see the fulfillment unless you're willing to obey what he said until you see the fulfillment. And they're in the upper room and they tarry. And then there comes a sound of a mighty rushing wind, right? And sits upon them divided tongues of fire. And they begin to speak in other tongues as the Holy Ghost gives them utterance. And they go into the streets and they start preaching in the language of all of the different people who were there. And they began to reach people in ethnic groups that they weren't able to reach before. They were given the Spirit. Not only that, they were also given a common heavenly language as well. So whereas whereas Babel divided their tongue, Pentecost brought a unification of tongue in a new heavenly language. Are you with me? It brought a unification because the Spirit always comes to unify, never to divide. 
When we, listen, Pentecostal people by our nature should be unifiers, not dividers. Christians by our nature should be unifiers, not dividers. But especially if you're going to say you're Holy Ghost filled, you better be speaking in a language of a culture. Sometimes it isn't even necessarily your own. You're able to reach across the aisle to people who are different than you. And you don't, listen, I don't want to just minister to young white people. I used the word young liberally these days. I want to be able to, listen, last night, last night, our, our, our generations building across the way, we hosted the Rutherford, uh, Rutherford High School football banquet. And it was awesome. It was wonderful. We were able to do that. And somebody asked us, how much do y'all charge when we do these things? We don't charge anything. We just do it to bless our community. God's blessed us, and we're going to bless our community as a result. Amen. But listen, I want you to know, the majority of the Rutherford football team does not look like me. They don't. Most of them are in shape. Yeah, thanks, Dad. I appreciate that. Man! Getting heckled by my dad from the front row. Don't worry. He'll get a receipt next week. Don't worry about it. They're young African-American men. They don't look like me. They're not my age. They're different than me. But you know what? Because the spirit is in me, I don't recoil from that or feel awkward or intimidated because I can speak their language if I need to speak their language whenever the spirit begins to move inside of you. Y'all with me? Galatians 3, verse 26, it says this. For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now get this, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul begins to address an issue here and he makes this point. If you are in Christ, we are put on an equal playing field. They put it this way. Jesus was the greatest equalizer that has ever existed. Before people were separated by race, they were separated by gender. People were literally treated differently even when it came to relationship and 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 and, and Hear the way I say this. I want you all to hang with me. Relationally with God, certain people could push into a relationship and certain people had to go through a much more difficult process to even get there. And then what happens is Paul is telling us here, whenever Jesus came, he began, he tore the veil, he tore separation, and he put everybody on an equal playing field. He put us all on an equal playing field. There's not Jew nor Greek. We read that and we don't know just how countercultural and subversive it was whenever Paul, a former, a former Pharisee, somebody who, who, who was trained in the law, who knew what all of that said, shows up and he goes, now in Jesus, there's neither Jew nor is there Greek. You know what, you know what he's saying? You know what he's actually saying to them? He's saying that your race that you were born doesn't make you better than somebody else. That's what he's saying. 
He, and and he, he's primarily addressing the Jews here. And he's like, no, listen, guys, just because you were born a Jew, it doesn't make you better than the Gentile. Because whenever they name the name of Jesus and you name the name of Jesus, everybody's put on a level playing field. Everyone becomes equal. There is no preference at that point. You have to understand, they grew up hearing that God preferred one race over another for their entire lives. And then Paul shows up and goes, not anymore. Jesus did away with that. And Jesus now says, we are all on an equal playing field. When you're in Christ, you are Abraham's seed. Which means this, that I'm Abraham's seed. And it means that Larry is Abraham's seed. Even though we're both Gentiles. I'm just a white Gentile. And he's an African-American Gentile. And Orit, who's from it, you were born, were you born in Israel? Who's born in Israel is Abraham's seed just as much as I am. And I am just as much as she is. Because we are all been grafted in through the blood of Jesus. And now the playing field has been leveled. Now the playing field has been leveled and there is no partiality any longer. There is no partiality because you're rich. There is no partiality because you're white. There is no partiality because you have a big house. There is no partiality because you drive a nice car. And by the way, nothing wrong with any of these things. Because this, hear, hear me out, this is what we also can't do. This is the inverse. What we can't do is then take and villainize the other people who aren't like us because we believe God is for the disenfranchised. So therefore, we want to vilify the people who are wealthy. No, they're grafted in just like you are. Or we want to vilify a different race because we feel like we've been disenfranchised. No, they're grafted in just like you are. We've all been put on a level playing field because of what Jesus did. Are y'all with me? So Paul shows up, says there's neither Jew nor Greek, not slave or free. That's incredibly subversive too. Because he's, he's dealing with economics really there is what he's dealing with. There's not slave or free. There's neither male nor female. And let me just go ahead and say this. God can use women just like he can use men. I'm going to say it again because some of y'all got real quiet. Y'all were like, yes, we're all on an equal playing field except the ladies. It's an equal playing field for men. There's neither male nor female. Listen, whenever God goes to use somebody, he doesn't check under their skirt to see what they got to know if he can use them or not. God can use women just like he can use men. And if you don't believe God can use women, well, somebody needs to tell Mary. And somebody needs to tell Priscilla. Which whenever Paul writes about Priscilla, he does this constantly. He's always saying Priscilla and Aquila, which is really, once again, incredibly subversive in antiquity because you would not mention the female before you name the male. And Paul always goes Priscilla, or almost always goes Priscilla and Aquila. Somebody needs to tell the, the, the it, it, what's, uh, what's, it starts with a J. Somebody help me. The mentioned as an apostle in the, in the New Testament. Dad, who? Junior, yes, thank you. Somebody needs to tell them. Are y'all with me? That God can't use women. Somebody needs to tell Deborah, a judge in ancient Israel, that God can't use women. Yeah, somebody needs to, we could, we could be here all night, all day, whatever it is, into the night. 
naming the females that are used throughout scripture and don't let your cultural ideas begin to seep into what you think people can be used and can't be used are you with me this morning far too often in the church and i'll use air quotes when i say that we allow our own prejudices to keep us from embracing the way that god is moving and by the way by the way unity and, and, and coming against prejudice is a biblical value. People go, I wish they'd just preach the Bible and stop talking about this stuff. This is the Bible. This is scripture. This was so important that in the New Testament, Paul rebukes Peter for his racism. That happened. Paul rebukes Peter because he goes, Peter, you're being racist right now. You need to stop it. Well, praise God. I want you to hear me today. In the, you need to lay any prejudice you have in your life down. The same blood that brought freedom to white people is the same blood that brought freedom to black people. And the same blood that brought freedom to black people is the same blood that brought freedom to Hispanics. And the same blood that brought freedom to Hispanics is the same blood that brought freedom to the Jews. And the same blood that brought freedom to the Jews is the same blood that brought freedom to the Arabic world. It's the same blood for all people, for every man. It's the same for all of us. Lay your prejudice down. I think, I think at times we've, we've mischaracterized this scripture in Galatians, and we said that Paul is promoting some sort of homogenized version of race, where he says, no long, you're not a part of your race any longer. And that's, I don't believe that's what he's promoting. But what I do believe he is promoting is that there is something that supersedes everything in the natural, right? That before you are whatever type of label you want to put on yourself, Right? Before I'm white, I'm a Christian. Before I'm an American, I'm part of a kingdom. Right? Before I'm a Floridian, I'm a believer. This one hurts. Before I'm a Florida State fan. Listen, if we can worship with Gators and Hurricanes and Bama fans and Bulldogs... Before all of that, I'm part of a kingdom that's bigger. I, you think I'm kidding. I've talked to people before, like I just, I have a hard time in worship because it's rivalry weekend and so-and-so over there cheers for the opposite team. Get over yourself, man. What in the world? You're not playing. And by the way, those kids who are playing on the field, that play on opposite teams, were texting each other the night before because they're all friends off the field because they played high school ball together, half of them. Calm down. I just get uncomfortable when I walk in and I see people of a different skin color than me. Well, you need to get delivered. You just, you need to get saved, as a matter of fact, probably. Are y'all with me? Prejudice is not of the kingdom. When someone gets saved, I'm going to say this again. Go back to, to Paul and, and what he's really saying here in Galatians 3. I don't believe he's promoting some sort of homogenization of, of race. I don't believe that's what he's promoting. When someone gets saved, they retain their race. Whenever I got saved, I stayed white. Whenever Will got saved, he stayed black. Right? Whenever Gil got saved, he stayed medium. 
said caramel. Right? Your race didn't change whenever you got saved. You're still the same. And I think one of the silliest things we do, listen, if, if, I'm not, if, if this offends you, I want you to hear my heart. I think one of the silliest things we do is say things like, well, I'm just colorblind. And I understand the heart of what people are saying, but it's kind of silly because I'm not colorblind because I have eyes. And whenever I see Wilt, I'm very aware that he's a different race than me. Whenever I see MG, I'm very aware that he's a different race than me. Whenever I see Castle, I'm very aware. But you know what I don't do? I don't treat them differently because of what I see. It's not that I'm colorblind. I just don't allow prejudice to affect me. I'm very aware. As a matter of fact, I celebrate our differences. Our differences should be celebrated, not tolerated. Right? We should celebrate our differences and our diversities. I'm thankful that everybody's not like me. Because it's the reality, because of Wilt's race, because of, 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 of uh, Will's race, we got Will and Wilt and all these W names. Because of Will's race, they have different experiences than me. That's just a fact. They have different experiences than me. And I can learn and I can grow from their experiences. And I have different experiences than them. And we strengthen each other. We don't weaken each other. We become stronger together than we would ever be separately. What defines you? What defines, whenever, whenever I see MG, I don't go, that's my black gator friend. That's not what I do. Whenever I look at MG, I go, that's my brother right there because we're washed in the same blood. That's my brother. Even if he does the chomp, he's my brother. And I love him to death. And I'm not going to allow petty things to cause me to separate from people that God has caused me to be joined to. We might have differences, but there's a lot more that is alike than is different. We all bleed the same blood. And we're all washed in the same blood. And therefore, whenever I look at him, I see the blood of Jesus. There's no room for prejudices in the heart of those who choose to follow Christ. The things that make us different are so small compared to what unites us. One of the things that we've always endeavored, I've heard my dad say it a hundred times, that we want, from the time I was a kid, whenever this church was only white people, because there is a barrier you have to break through. And you have to, because especially in, in, this, in our American culture, which can be incredibly divisive, by the way, to have some people who are of a different race that show up and say, we're going to, this is our church and we're going to stay here even if we're the only ones. And in the early, and I'm thankful for Gil and Ruthie Sanchez who showed up to second service as a different race and a different culture and have been here for 27 years. Because I'm sure there were times that wasn't easy. I'm thankful in the early days when we had, when we had African-American brothers and sisters that started coming to the church and made a choice that even if I catch flack for this, and by the way, some of them did, I'm going to stick and stay here because this is where God has called me to be. And now you look around this room and it's hard to put us in a box.
because you look around this room and you see black, you see white, you see Hispanic, you see Asian, you see all different ethnicities, all different ages, because that's the kingdom exemplified. You see different generations because that is the kingdom exemplified. I remember from the time I was a kid hearing my dad say this, I want this church to look like a reflection of our community, not just a reflection of me. I want this church to look like a reflection of our community, not just a reflection of me. Turn to Revelation 7 real fast. Church will always and should look like a reflection of your community. If your church doesn't look like a reflection of your community, we need to do some things different. Revelation 7 verse 9 says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, somebody shout multitude, multitude which no one could number, get this, of all nations, tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Here in Revelation 7 John is taken up into heaven. He's given a picture of what is going on around the throne of God and everyone isn't just glowing white orbs. Everyone haven't just morphed into angels. Everybody didn't turn white or black. Everybody didn't turn in, 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 into Hebrews. Because whenever John looks at, the, looks at what's going on, I, I, don't, I don't fully know how, I don't fully understand, but I do know this, with what John saw, he was able to say, I see every tribe. I see every tongue, I see every nation. Now this is just my opinion. You can hold whatever opinion you want. This is my opinion. But I believe one of the ways John was able to see that is he probably saw some different melanin. Everybody didn't just turn into a white orb. I believe in eternity you're going to retain some element of who you are now. I don't fully know what that means. I don't fully understand it. Maybe I'll get in shape though. Y'all will too. But something happened to where John can look and he sees different people groups. Can I say this? I believe around the throne there may have been some distinction in the way that they worshipped. That John went, that's a little bit different than that. I've seen that in, in this nation. I've seen that in this place. There's something about them that whenever we get to heaven, we don't just all homogenize into one glob who look the same, act the same, talk the same, worship the same, sound the same. There's still some individuality to who they were. But here's, here, here's the kicker, but they were all clothed in white. That's their unifier. They may be every kindred, tribe, tongue, and nation, but they're clothed in holiness. But they're clothed in his righteousness. Whenever you walk in this room and we worship on Sunday morning, we may look different, we may sound different, we might worship different. Some of y'all clap on one and three and I'm praying for y'all. Some of you dance a little bit offbeat, and some of you got a little bit of groove in your step. But at the end, that's right, I'm talking exactly about you, Larry. You got some groove in your step. But the reality is this, that we're all clothed in white. We're all clothed in holiness. We're all clothed in the righteousness of God. And if you're clothed in the same garment as me, but you look a little different, you sound a little different, you worship a little different, that robe means a lot more to me than our differences. What you're clothed in in his righteousness speaks a better word than the color of your skin or your gender or how much money is in your bank account or what generation you are. If you're 80 years old, 
old or if you're eight years old, if you're clothed in that robe, you're my brother, you're my sister, and we're going to worship together in a spirit of unity because whenever we do that, God looks down and he goes, I see that place where there's not a bunch of racists and a bunch of sexists and a bunch of bigots. And you know what I'm going to do in that place? I'm going to send the blessing there. We have to be willing to destroy sectarianism. When my parents started this church, I'm going to wrap up quick. When my parents started this church 27 years ago, one of the things they felt that we as a body were called to target was the spirit of sectarianism. What is that? It's something, something that divides people into groups and separates us. We've done that, and we've done it well, I would even say. And by the way, that doesn't happen by accident. That happens through extreme intentionality. But let me say this, we're going to continue to do that all the more. We're going to continue. How, how do we do that? How do we target sectarianism? One of the greatest ways that we do it is we display unity. Because sectarianism is the opposite of unity. And in order to defeat something, what you do is you display the way it's supposed to be. And you know what? People with, with, with problems and demons and prejudices in their heart will get upset whenever they see it. And I say, let them get upset. I like stirring up devils. I like upsetting the apple cart of the religious traditions of men. I don't believe there's supposed to be a white church in a black church. There's the church. There's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever you come here, you're going to get a little bit of every kind of flavor. Life's really boring if you only eat one flavor. If you just eat vanilla ice cream, as good as it might be, it gets boring. But life's really good whenever you can get a little taste of all the different flavors of what's going on in the world and in culture. And in this place, you're going to get a little bit of everything. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful we have some people on this platform that look different than me. I'm thankful we have staff and leaders that look different than me, that sound different than me, that are from a different generation than me. So we're going to display unity. We're going to live in a heavenly way that while we're still on the way, while we're still on the road to seeing the kingdom fully manifested, we're going to do what Pastor Casey talked about. We're going to live for that day. We're going to live as a light shining to that day. And in heaven, let me let you know, I'll let you know a little secret. Racism doesn't exist in heaven. So it shouldn't exist in the church. Because we're pointing to a day that is yet to come. What a shame it would be if the world was doing a better job leading the way than the church is especially a spirit-filled church. Because listen, Pentecostalism has always been and will always call to be on the forefront of what is happening even in culture and in the earth. I'm going to close with this kind of thought. Just in relation to what I just said about Pentecostalism always being spirit-filled people. Let me, put, let me put it that way. Spirit-filled people are always supposed to be at the forefront of what... We should be forerunners of what God is restoring. February is, is Black History Month, and I, I made a post uh, on February 1st of honoring a, a, a man of God who probably just in history in general is unheralded, uh, more unheralded than he should be, and also I would say in the church and in our church history is probably more unheralded than he should be, and it's a gentleman by the name of William Seymour. William Seymour was the son of, of two slaves who would grow and would be get involved in ministry and as he became an adult and he actually uh, ended up leading a movement called the Azusa Street Revival. How I many you ever heard of the Azusa Street Revival before? 
One of the greatest revivals that really was kind of the, the kickstart of the Pentecostal move uh, in the United States. And uh, one of the coolest things to me about Azusa Street is that when the revival breaks out, you have black and white Christians worshiping together. You have black and white Christians worshiping together. And that started in 1906. In 1906, over 50 years before the civil rights movement, over 20 years before Martin Luther King Jr. is even born, you have white and black Christians worshiping together in California. And I believe, I believe the Azusa Street Revival, it did a lot of things, but I believe one of the things it was doing is it was a forerunner for a civil rights movement that was going to happen that was gonna to begin to shift the scales and bring equality. Listen, the church has to demonstrate things before the world can catch up. And Azusa Street is this prophetic proclamation of what God can do whenever we lay down our differences and we begin to join together in unity. It's one of the things it is. Now, remember how incredible, how many of you have heard of Azusa Street before? Just wave your hand at me. Okay, most, a good, good selection of y'all. So what's really interesting, and I want y'all just to hang with me real quick, is uh, there's another name that is largely linked to Azusa, and it's a, a gentleman by the name of Charles Parham, and Parham was a, was a white man. And... Uh, Parham is actually frequently called the father of American Pentecostalism, which I'm just going to be honest with you, I reject. I believe Seymour is the father of modern Pentecostalism, and I'll tell you why as I tell this story. Seymour learned under Parham, and he adopted a lot of his beliefs from Parham. It was actually Parham was the one who laid hands on William Seymour to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then... Azusa begins to break out through ministry that, uh, that uh, William Seymour is doing. And Seymour, obviously, when he's preaching and when he's around people, he talks about Parham and, and talks about him to the people that are attending the revival. There's this buzz in the community that Parham's going to eventually show up to the revival because he's the one who taught Seymour. As a matter of fact, Seymour was often viewed as a spiritual son of, excuse me, Seymour was viewed as a spiritual son of Parham. So the time comes for Parham to attend his first meeting of the Azusa Street Revival. And he comes in the room and he acts absolutely disgusted with what is going on. And Parham actually walks up to Seymour and whispers in his ear right before Seymour goes up to preach, says, God is sick to his stomach at what is happening. And nobody was sure exactly what Parham was referencing, but it would later become very clear whenever Parham wrote it into a newspaper and condemned the Azusa Street Revival. And this is what Parham said. He said, they're laying across one another like hogs, blacks and whites mingling. This should be enough to bring a blush of shame to devils, let alone angels. Parham would end up joining up with the KKK and leading marches against the Azusa Street Revival simply because whites and blacks were worshiping together. Can I tell you, that man is not the father of American Pentecostalism because we should be marked. I want you to hear, I want you to understand the way in which I say this word. We should be marked by our inclusion and our diversity of people 
who are washed by the blood of Jesus, even if they're different than us, not our sectarianism and division based on prejudices. I only tell you this story to, 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 to bring this out and to challenge you today. Parham was filled with the Holy Ghost. Parham spoke in tongues. Parham had fruit in his ministry and he was still way off base with issues in his heart. Don't think just because you speak in the Holy Ghost and you know how to pray for somebody that you've got it all together. Don't think that prejudice can't live in your heart because you came down and you prayed at an altar. Let us all be introspective of our own hearts and our own lives. Parham had a lot of issues. Parham had a lot of fruit and did a lot of great and powerful and mighty things. Not the least of them being ministering to William Seymour whenever he was learning. But history remembers him a lot more for his failings and his successes because he wouldn't deal with issues in his own heart. If we refuse to deal with the prejudices in our heart, if we refuse to deal with the things where the enemy may have come in and gotten a foothold, listen, I don't care what you were taught growing up. I don't care what your grandpa or your dad or your uncle or a teacher or whatever said. Whenever we are in Christ, we are one race. We are one nation. We are one people comprised of a multitude of races, comprised of two genders, comprised of people from different backgrounds and places, but we are one and we worship with one voice. And here at this place, first of all, let me just say this. Thank God for William Seymour, a brave African-American man, a forerunner to the civil rights movement who didn't allow any of that to deter him from where he was going. Thank God for people who are willing to put their foot down and said, you can get mad all you want. We're going to do things the Bible way. We're going to do things the way that scripture prescribes. We're going to do things the way that they were ordained and destined to be. And here at High Praise, we do the exact same thing. People can get mad and they can call us names and they can say this, that, or the other. But this is going to be a house of unity where black and white and Hispanic and Asian worship together. Where men and women minister together where generations minister together, where the rich and the poor sit and dine at the same table, where the sinner is welcomed with open arms, and we say God wants to change you, deliver you, and set you free, this place will be a house of unity. It always has been, it always will be, and we will be to the kingdom comes because we are speaking to a day which is yet to come where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord of all. Will you stand to your feet and give the Lord a shout of praise this morning? This is a church of unity. This is a church of unity. I'm so thankful. I was going to mention, I'm so thankful for our Hispanic ministry, which dad's going to be ministering in there today. If you haven't experienced our Hispanic ministry, today might be a good day to show up because half the preaching is going to be in English and you can understand. But listen, we stood here on the first service on the front row. And I know for me, for mom and dad, I know for just about all of our staff, we all stood there with tears in our eyes. Because this is the manifestation of what we believe for. This is the manifestation of who we are. Different cultures, different tongues, all worshiping the same Jesus, all lifting up the same worship because that's what heaven is. If you want to go to heaven to get away from people who don't look like you, you're going to be really, really, really disappointed. If you want to go to heaven so you don't have to put up with black people or white people or Spanish, you're going to be disappointed because they're all going to be there worshiping in unity. 
together with one tongue, one tribe, one nation, a kingdom. Will you lift your hands this morning? I just want you to repeat it to me. Say, Father God, I thank you that we're going to live in unity, that I will live as a unifier, not a divider. Lord, remove from my heart any prejudice that would try to separate me from those that you've called me to be joined to. We're going to celebrate our differences. We're going to celebrate our diversity. And we're going to live in unity because there you command the blessing in Jesus' mighty name. Will you lift your voice to him with a shout of praise? Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.